Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, the Fall Economic Statement. Our economic plan is working. The finance minister unveils a list of initiatives aimed at bringing back affordability and jump-starting rental housing construction. But does the plan meet the urgency of the moment and is it financially responsible? We'll speak to Finance Minister Krista Freeland and get reaction from the opposition. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. The federal finance minister tabled her fall economic statement today, an update on the country's finances and what Ottawa sees as the road ahead. As to where things stand right now, here's what we heard from Christopher Freeland today. The federal government projecting a $40 billion deficit for the 2023-24 fiscal year. That is slightly less than what was predicted in the last federal budget back in March. The economic statement also includes 30 $13.2 billion in new spending. And as for the debt to GDP ratio for 23-24, it stands at 42.4% with the Liberal government saying that percentage respects its so-called financial anchor and it is still, it argues, on track to reduce that ratio in the years to come. Now, not surprisingly, Minister Freeland focused this year's FES on affordability and housing. And for more details, let's go to CPAC's Andrew Thompson right now. Andrew. Well, Michael, let's start with housing. And the government is confirming another $15 billion in low-cost homes to get more rental apartments built, 30,000 more apartments built. However, this extra money will not roll out until 2025. There's also another $1 billion over three years for affordable housing, again, starting in 2025. This is to get more than 7,000 nonprofit, co-op and public units built. And the government is extending its GST exemption on new rental housing to include co-ops. The government is also pledging more work on labour mobility between provinces and territories, especially for construction workers. There's also a Canadian mortgage charter the government wants lenders to follow. It's meant to protect homeowners vulnerable to higher interest rates and it follows some guidelines already in place. It includes temporary extensions of an amortization period, waiving some fees and costs and giving more notice in advance of a mortgage renewal date. Let's talk now about Airbnb and other short-term rentals that the government claims are keeping thousands of homes off the market. This update confirming tax measures to try and crack down. So no more deducting expenses related to that income in regions where it's banned and no deductions when operators aren't following local regulations. Now, as for the cost of living and affordability, the government is promising more power to the Competition Bureau beyond what's in Bill C-56. This is on things like predatory pricing and mergers that affect consumers and workers. The government is also planning to remove sales tax from psychotherapy and counseling services and planning paid leave in federal sectors for someone who's experienced a pregnancy loss. On employment insurance, there's a new 15-week EI adoption benefit for adoptive parents and for surrogate parents, and a four-week extension of EI benefits for some seasonal workers. 
Finally, the government is also promising more action on junk fees over the coming years. Uh, this includes bank NSF fees, it includes international roaming fees, and it includes airline seat charges for children who need to travel with an adult. Michael. Andrew, thank you for that. Well, we're now joined by the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christian Freeland. Ms. Freeland, thank you for being with us. Great to be with you, Michael. Now, you've not set out a plan here to balance Canada's budget. Instead, you're tying this country's financial health to this uh, debt-to-GDP ratio. Uh, is that responsible enough, given that you yourself point to slowing growth and annual deficits for the foreseeable future? Uh Yes, Michael, it absolutely is a fiscally responsible economic plan. And, you know, I'd like to start with what is the purpose of being fiscally responsible? And the purpose is so that we can invest in Canada and Canadians. And that's what we are doing in this fall economic statement. We're investing in housing. I think everyone across the country agrees that is absolutely essential. We're investing in the economy. Um, this is a statement that carries through on our promise to invest in the industrial transition, which is absolutely essential for the jobs of today and the jobs of tomorrow. But I agree with the premise of your question. We can only afford to continue doing that, to do it year after year after year as we need to do, if we do it in a fiscally responsible way. That's what we're doing. I'm going to give you two quick proof points. Mm -hmm. The first is we have the lowest debt and the lowest deficit in the G7. And the second is the ratings agencies, whose job really is to look at countries and say, is your fiscal plan responsible and sustainable, have granted Canada and continue to grant us a AAA rating. Okay, well, you mentioned uh, home building there. Let, let's talk a bit about that, because obviously uh, you have a number of measures in today's economic statement that, that references that. Uh, you, you say that these measures will create housing faster, but you know, this $15 billion loan guarantee that was uh, leaked earlier, that actually won't kick in until fiscal 25-26. How is that building homes quicker? Well, that is a top-up to a program that exists that is working, that is delivering, but where the money is running out. And I'll tell you why I know that, because just last week, I was a couple of kilometers north of my own riding in Toronto. I went to announcement, a great announcement of 2,600 new rental units being built in Toronto. I could see them being built behind me. And those units were being financed by this rental construction financing initiative. It was very exciting for me. But when I talked to the builders who were delivering these homes, who were getting the job done, they said to me, this is a great program. They said, because this program exists, we are choosing to build rental units rather than condos, which I think everyone in Toronto agree, would agree is what we need more of. But they said to me, we're worried because the program is running out of money. And with this fall economic, I couldn't tell them at the time, obviously, but as they were saying this to me, I was glad to know in my heart, guess what? There's $15 billion coming to top up this program. So a program that works doesn't run out of money. I think that makes sense. Okay. I also want to ask you about your newly announced Canadian mortgage charter, uh, something very new. But, you know, when you look at it, there doesn't seem to be any enforcement mechanism. How does that help uh, anyone without it? Well, thank you very much for the question. 
because I am sure that you, just like me, hear from a lot of Canadians who are concerned about their mortgages and are concerned about being able to afford their mortgages when they come up for renewal. Uh, and I, I really appreciate and understand that concern that Canadians have. That's why for the first time in Canadian history, we have published in one of the two most serious financial documents that the government of Canada publishes, the Canadian Mortgage Charter. And it lays out what Canadians can expect from their banks, what the government is saying to Canadians and to their financial institutions, you have the right to expect these things. And the, this is tailored treatment that I think is gonna provide Canadians with real relief. It is things like you have the right to seek an extension and amortization of your mortgage. That can help you make your payment every month. Um, it says that if you have an insured mortgage, you can go to a different financial institution without requalifying. Again, that kind of competition gives people some real leverage. And so, you know, thank you for the question. And what I would say is to Canadians who are concerned, please, you know, I'm not expecting everyone in the country to read the fall economic statement, but I would say, you know, Google the Canadian Mortgage Charter and you will find what are the specific things you can expect from your bank when you need to renew your mortgage. And you can say, the finance minister said, because I'm saying it right now, you have the right to expect it. Okay, uh, quickly running out of time, but I do have to ask because there is no reference to Pharmacare in your statement today. But, you know, by the terms of your supply and confidence agreement with the NDP, something has to happen by the end of this year. How accurate are these projections without including Pharmacare? Uh, so, again, thank you for the question. Um, we, as you know, because you said it, Michael, we have a written agreement, supply and confidence agreement. And we are very carefully, very thoughtfully keeping our side of the bargain. One of the things that is in here, and which is expensive, but is delivering real transformation for many, many Canadians, is dental care. That costs a lot of money, but I personally am so glad that we're doing it. I travel around Canada now, and so many people have come up to me, often an older person who might not show their teeth when they're talking or put their hand in front of their mouth, and they'll say, you know, gee, I wish this had been around when I was a kid, or I'm glad that kids today have this. That is something that we are doing that is in the fiscal framework that is published here. When it comes to other elements, uh, my colleague, Mark Holland, is having thoughtful, careful, I would say productive conversations on other elements. Okay, well, we look forward to details. Uh, Minister Freeland, really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you for that. Thank you very much, Michael. Have a great night. You too. With this $20 billion of costly new spending, this update can be summed up very simply, prices up, rent up, debt up, taxes up, time's up. Common sense conservatives will vote non-confidence on this disgusting scheme. 
Well, that was the Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, reacting to the Liberal government's fall economic update in the House this afternoon. And joining us right now is the Conservative finance critic, Jazraj Singhalan. Mr. Singhalan, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me, Michael. Listen, your leader has already signaled that Conservatives will not support this fall economic statement. What does your party find uh, most troubling about it? Uh, well, let's start with what we asked for to, uh, in the beginning of this fall economic uh, statement. We asked, we had three asks. We had one is to balance the budget so that interest rates and, um, and inflation can come down. We know Canada's most at risk in the G7 of mortgage default crisis because this government spent more money than every single government before them fueling the 40 years in high in inflation and the most rapid interest rate hikes ever seen in Canadian history. Number two, we asked for a pause on the quadrupling of the carbon tax so that we could bring down the costs on home heating, gas and groceries. And third, and let me just add to that, that once Pierre Polyev becomes prime minister, we'll axe the tax completely so that more families can uh, afford gas, groceries and home heating. And on top of that, we could put a massive dent in inflation. And number three, implement our common sense leaders, common sense conservative plan to build more homes and not bureaucracy by doing things like incentivizing municipalities by increasing permit closes by 15%. What that would do is help create more supply through the free market into Canada, helping lower the costs and getting more people into homes than ever. Because today we see uh, home affordability is, is out, of, uh, out of hand when nine out of 10 young people say they can't afford a new home and we're seeing rents and mortgages and the needed payment down payment on a house double after eight years of this Liberal NDP government spending more than every single government before them combined. This fiscal update or a false promise update is what it looks like has nothing but more spending. Spending is going to be up, rents are not going to go down, mortgages are not going to go down, photo ops are going to go up after this uh, fall economic statement announcements but it's not going to do anything to address everyday Canadians needs which is the cost of living crisis that was created by this Liberal NDP government. Okay, uh, let me break up a bit of what you've just said there and I'm going to begin with the, with your path back to a balanced budget because the Liberals do tie the country's uh, economic health to their uh, so-called fiscal anchor, this jet, uh, debt to GDP ratio rather. And really when you look at that ratio, Canada's debt to GDP ratio is the strongest of the G7. What do you say to that? You know, someone recently said that uh, comparing ourselves to the G7 is like comparing the the cleanest, uh, you know, cleanest dirty laundry inside the dirty laundry hamper. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. But at the end of the day, what we're seeing now is Canada is in the is one of, is in the worst position it's ever been in Canadian history. When we have two million people going to a food bank in a single month, one in five Canadians are skipping meals. Canadians are living inside under tents, in tent cities, under bridges, and in their cars. And what this government has created is a phenomenon of the middle class where more middle class families, two income earning families are going into food banks and living in their cars more than ever before. This is not a sign of success in Canada. Many people came here like my family did as immigrants for the Canadian dream. That Canadian dream is gone after eight years of this Liberal NDP government. What we need to do is make sure that we're bringing down and bringing home lower prices so we have more powerful paychecks for Canadians that they don't have to rely on more and more supports. We want to be able to have them keep more in their pocket. That's what a, a common sense conservative government and, and would I'm do. Sorry, and a balanced budget would do that? And a balanced budget would do that? 
Absolutely, and you just have to listen to what the governor of the Bank of Canada said. They said that the government's deficits fuel inflation. The finance minister admitted that herself. And what do we see? We see 40-year highs in inflation and the most rapid interest rate hikes Though in Canadian history. We're not going to see those interest rate hikes go down, according to the governor of the Bank of Canada, because he said what the government is doing with their spending is working in opposite direction of what he's trying to do by taming inflation, by bringing down bringing down the interest rates. That can't happen with more and more uh, fuel being poured on the inflationary fire. This fiscal update tells you that they will never balance a budget. We have to remember last year, the, the finance minister played a trick on Canadians in her fiscal update, or what we call a false promise update. She promised to, that she would balance the budget last year, then did a massive flip-flop and said, I'm just kidding, I will never balance the budget. And what did that do? We've seen inflation go up and interest rate hikes. We need to balance the budget so Canadians can keep more in their pocket and afford more and make, make everyday life more affordable for Canadians. Okay, but, but you know, to, to hear it from Christopher Freeland, what the Liberals have actually done here are more targeted investments so that they would not add fuel to the inflation fire, if you will. And when it comes to things like housing, you know, they have tied uh, federal funding to getting, uh, getting rid of red tape in certain municipalities, trying to expand that in order to create more housing. Do they not deserve credit of that front? Because that sounds very much like a conservative policy. I'm not sure what we're trying to give credit for. They've, uh, they've got a lot of photo op kind of announcements inside this fall economic statement, but nothing, no shovels in the ground. This is a government that spent $89 billion they committed to housing, only to have rents and mortgages double. Housing starts are down. We don't see investment in housing. Investment in housing is down 14%. And actually, Scotiabank recently also said that the interest rate could have been 2% lower if the government had not spent as much as they did today. So I'm not sure what we're crediting for. If they want to take credit for something, they can, they can take credit for doubling rents and doubling mortgages and sending more and more Canadians into food banks because that is going to be the legacy and record of this out-of-control, out-of-touch Liberal NDP government. We need to axe things like the carbon tax so we can put a massive dent in inflation, which would also help interest rates come down and Canadians could save more on gas, groceries and home heating. Mr. Singh, Helen, always appreciate the time. Thank you for that. Thanks, Michael. Well, let's turn now to the federal NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh. Uh, Mr. Singh, always good to see you. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Listen, I was speaking to your party's House leader yesterday, and Mr. Julian essentially said New Democrats want more than just rental units built. The party was looking for more affordable housing, co-op, social housing to be prioritized as well. And we here we have now this fall economic statement, a billion dollars set aside for those priorities. Were your concerns heard? Well, they're certainly heard in the sense that up until, well, up until the fall economic statement, we hadn't heard the Liberals even really mention affordable housing. They're talking about building homes, building housing, but they wouldn't focus on affordability. And we spoke to a lot of people in cities across the country saying, you could build more luxury condos and that's not gonna make my life any better. I can't afford that. I'm living in a rental unit right now where a lot of my neighbors have been renovated or demovicted and I'm worried if I lose this, I'll have nowhere to go because there's nowhere affordable. For those people, they need affordability. And so to see some of those measures, 
uh, being put forward. That's because of our pressure. We forced this government to start introducing measures around cooperative housing, not-for-profit housing, housing that people can actually afford. My major concern remains, though, given how serious things are, the Liberals are not meeting the, the needs of people, and people still feel very disappointed by the delay of the Prime Minister Trudeau and of the Liberal government. Okay, let's talk about that delay, because I, I think you're referencing to the fact that when it comes to social housing, we're looking at uh, fiscal 25-26 seems to be what's being laid out here in the, in the statement. Absolutely, and, and the bulk of the money may not even be available till 26-27. So we're talking the rollout in, in the future, a year and a half, and even then, the major rollout being maybe even two years away. And that would be okay if we weren't dealing with a crisis, but what we're dealing with is some of the biggest challenges people have faced in our country and the biggest challenge we face as a nation, as far as we know, in terms of affordability, and the Liberals aren't meeting that urgency, aren't meeting the moment, and people are left feeling really, again, disappointed by the Liberals. Okay, but the Liberals do make this argument, Mr. Singh, that their housing investments now will jumpstart enough supply to bring down rental costs, basically leaning in on basic supply and demand. How does that fail to help? Well, one is that it's taken them eight years to act. If they would have started eight years ago, we would have been in a much better position now. But they really didn't take this seriously until recently, and so they've missed eight years of action. On top of that, we've heard from so many people that purely building high rent, high cost uh, places to live won't address the affordability pressures that people are in right now. We know of many people that have decent jobs, but because the cost of rent is so high, if more units are built at that high rent, it will not actually help people. And to think that just by building a number of units, that somehow that'll bring the rent down. Units are built, the rent is set based on what's going to create a profit for the private developer. They're not going to lower that if it's not going to meet their bottom line. That's why we need, in the mix, an addition of affordability, not-for-profit housing, where the goal isn't to make a profit for a shareholder, but the goal is to create housing. Cooperatives, where the tenants together, they actually are the ones setting the prices so they can keep that affordable. Even though Pierre Polyev would like to call cooperative housing Soviet-style housing and dismiss it, it's where a lot of Canadians were able to actually find something affordable, something that they could count on, something that was allow allowed them to build a home and build a family, and where they weren't afraid that they were going to get kicked out. Mm -hmm. Now, the government, uh, on another matter, in accordance to the deal that it has with your party has to bring in a Pharmacare deal before the end of this year. But you know, Pharmacare is not mentioned in this fall economic statement at all. Should we be adding billions to the deficit amounts being quoted by the Liberals? No, what we're uh, talking about is le putting in place the legal framework. So the legislative framework is not a cost ask. It's saying, let's actually get all the pieces in place so we can move forward on Pharmacare. And one of those pieces, as recommended by the government's own commission report, is to have a Canada Pharmacare Act, much like the Canada Health Act, the legal framework. Then in subsequent years, we're talking about laying out what is the list of medication that should be covered, the formulary. And then finally, what is the plan to purchase in bulk? These are all the steps required for us to then roll out Pharmacare, but we're not actually asking for the government to spend money. We're asking for the plan and the framework so we can actually move forward on it. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the, the deficit figures, because at this point we are looking at multiple years of deficit, does that concern you at all? I appreciate that you're, you're pushing for, for, for more social programs, you're pushing for more social housing, but does that not put more pressure on the government to add to their deficits? 
Well, we are concerned about where the government is mismanaging our resources and spending where we shouldn't be spending. We think there could be cuts, cuts in things like uh, outsourcing contracts to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. That's something that we shouldn't be spending money on. The Liberals have spent billions of dollars on subsidies to really profitable oil and gas companies. We don't need to be spending there as well. Those are cuts that we could do. We could be prudent about the way we spend but we know that investing in building homes that we can afford is actually an inflation fighting measure. It will bring down inflation since one of the major drivers of inflation right now is the high cost of housing, high cost of mortgage and rent. So building homes that people can afford is an investment that actually would help fight inflation, not create inflation. Mr. Singh, I appreciate it, it was a long day. I really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Now, earlier today, I did speak with Pedro Antunes, the chief economist for the Conference Board of Canada. I wanted to get his assessment on the economic update, beginning with that deficit figure, $40 billion projected by the end of this fiscal year, which is not far off from what the government predicted it would be back in March. They are on track right now. Do you take that as good news? Yeah, well, I think it is good news. Um, I think in part it's a, a bit of luck of the draw. We were expecting a weaker economy uh, in 2023. And in fact, the first quarter came out quite strong. And I think that helped buttress the uh, revenue side of the picture for the government. Uh, and it is good news in the sense that uh, there had been some uh, noise from the parliamentary budget office saying that uh, likely the deficit was going to be bigger for 23-24. So I think that's good news. Uh, the bad news, of course, is that uh, while the economy held up a little bit stronger in 2023, it's looking a lot weaker in the budget forecast now, in the fall economics statement forecast for 24 and for 2024 and going forward. So that means weaker revenues and a more and more fiscal pressure down the road for the for the government. And you know, too, that what's interesting is, despite the calls for it, we don't see in this economic update any plan to get back to to a balanced budget. Although the government makes the argument that when you look at debt to GDP ratio, that is still going down and they also make the argument that uh, that ratio for Canada is the best in the G7. What do you make of that argument? Well, yeah, it's great to be the best, but uh, I think we're, uh, you know, we're all in, in some trouble here after uh, what happened with the pandemic and the amount of sovereign debt that just lifted up through, you know, through the entire uh, developed world, if you want. Uh, we've seen essentially a 10% rise in debt to GDP ratios across all uh, OECD economies and Canada included. Uh, the reason we do a little bit better than some of the other countries is we uh, we have our, our our fully funded pension plans, whereas some, a lot of other economies don't. But it doesn't mean that we have a lot of fiscal, much more fiscal room to maneuver because uh, maneuver because our gross debt is still in line with that of, uh, of many of those other economies. So we still need to fund that. Uh, so I think it's still very much a challenge. And when we look at the you know, essentially the the deficit situation for the next for well for this fiscal year, 40 billion you just mentioned, uh, uh, and the next two years we're still running deficits that are 38 billion uh, in the next two years. So a sizable, uh, I, I think a sizable fiscal hole uh, for three years running and not a lot of improvement down the road. Yeah, you talk about fiscal maneuverability and you know as you go through this economic statement without a doubt there are some spending measures but not really a lot. What does that say uh, about how much the government is now spending to actually service the debt that it has? 
Well, uh, essentially we've seen a debt serving, uh, servicing costs more than doubled uh, since uh, pre-pandemic, if you'd like. We, we were running uh, you know, def, def, deficit, or debt servicing around $20 billion. We're seeing those numbers heading to $46 billion, I think, in the current year, uh, and $50 billion uh, going forward, e even higher. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, those are still manageable. They're still small, as the uh, government points out, as a share of GDP. Uh, historically, they're still small numbers. But it doesn't take away from the fact that this is... Uh, a, a rising pressure under a situation where we all we have all sorts of other pressures that the federal government has committed to, and in, in, in including helping provinces fund, fund health care. Um, you know, we, we, we're talking about the daycare uh, programs and the funding that's going towards that. A lot of good initiatives out there, but they're all going to cost uh, and put a lot of pressure on the fiscal situation. And that is our coverage of this year's fall economic statement. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Primetime Politics will be back tomorrow night, but up next is Esteve Jean avec l'Essentiel.